episode of Work Stoppage, your favorite labor news podcast. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we are a 100% listener-supported show, so thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already. It's a great place to talk about the stuff that we talk about on the show. If you don't have any stickers yet, just message us on Patreon and we will get them to you ASAP. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Yeah, absolutely. In the main feed episode of this week, we kind of gave a little, uh, you know, hype for this because we're very excited to be doing this. But uh, this past week, graduate students from John Hopkins University in Baltimore became a the latest group of academic workers to join the union movement, winning their election by an incredible 97% margin. Very impressive, with over 3,000 student workers uh, making their voice heard. Uh, and the decision to bargain collectively and join the United Electrical Workers, which is a union that we are consistently very excited about, you know, as a rank and file union. And we're very excited to have uh, Andrew Enum and Jasmine Gray, who are grad student workers at the university with the Teachers and Researchers United Union and uh, yeah, I want to thank you both for joining us and having a discussion about your, your drive and your success and all that. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for inviting us on the podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess just to, to get right into it, uh, obviously, first off, congratulations on your landslide victory. It's super exciting to see so many workers in academia organizing in record numbers lately. I mean, just this week, we had, I believe, 1,700 workers at Northeastern University just filed for a union. And it feels like we're getting a new big academic union victory every week. It's kind of like with uh, Starbucks last year. So it's been really great to see. But, you know, we talked about how you won, but let's go back to the beginning. Can you, you tell us a little bit about the history of grad student organizing at Johns Hopkins? Like, how long has this been a project that workers have been fighting for? Yeah, I mean, this has been honestly a pretty long-term project um, spanning nearly a decade at this point. Um, the first, like iteration of what became true uh, started in like 2014. And it was essentially just a what all unions end up being is a group of workers get together to try and solve a problem. Um, but like more realistically, it was sort of a healthcare campaign in 2015 because not all grad workers got healthcare at the time. It was like, if you were in this school, you got healthcare. In this school, you don't get shit. Um, oh, wow. And so it was sort of that was like the nucleating point for starting a movement. Um, but like the first real union campaign launched publicly in 2018. So it's actually been a while since that happens. And then it sort of died with Trump's NLRB threatening the ability for grad workers at private universities, um, which for anyone that doesn't know, it's sort of essentially they were going to overturn the ruling that allowed grad workers to unionize at private universities so everybody was like, we can't file again because they couldn't give them a case to do that. 
And so it was like that sort of dead period is sort of when I came in. I started in 2019 um, during basically the hiatus of grad worker organizing. And it was uh, definitely a, a, a difficult kind of um, project to be organizing in a context where like the, a union isn't at the end of it, right? It's issue by issue by issue by issue, and it's really tiring. Um, and we did have some wins throughout that. I mean, we got um, we got funding extensions during the pandemic for for people who are on time limited funding packages. Um, we're able to get some stipend increases throughout that. Um, and then we got to more recently when the rule was then that proposed rule change was rescinded, uh, and we had the chance to to pursue a union again and. Um, since then, everything has really shifted. Um, we affiliated with UE. We pursued a card campaign, huge numbers on that, and then got to where we are now, winning our election and now moving into bargaining. Um, so it was, it, it's been a, a really long time coming. Um, and a lot of folks who were here towards the beginning that are still here have uh, really put in a ton of work. And I don't know how they were able to do it in those years of of nothingness, but um, sticking with it was was such a huge th deal um, to what we've been able to achieve today. Wow, that's really impressive. I mean, and you know, showing that the union has really existed for a long time, and that y'all have been fighting for real gains. It, Jasmine, is there any part of, like when did you join in on the union organizing? So I, um, it's actually pretty funny. My very first day at JHU, Andrew had picked me up from the train station. <laughs> so I like to think that I've been a part of True since the second I stepped foot on campus. Because <laughs> Andrew's yeah. always been so, you know, passionately involved with True. But really, um, I was kind of in, an organizer off and on in 2020. Um, but it wasn't until uh, I, I got extremely involved, I would say, um, this past summer like June of 2022 um, because I had actually just stepped off of uh, the graduate student association um, as the diversity and inclusion vice president. So I had more time to help organize with true and it ended up me becoming um, a building lead, which is just, uh, I was in charge of making sure everybody in my building knew what true was doing. And to do that, we had to send people on, walkthroughs going through building to building and that was um that's been my major uh, involvement of true is organizing as a building lead and it's been uh really great being involved and i'm glad that i did get involved in as involved as i i am currently so nice uh, a quick follow-up though on on that period because that must have been so difficult like as you were saying when you know you're building this momentum on campus around the, the need for a union. And at the same time, you have to tell folks, but we can't file right now. So it, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, we've covered a campaign by workers at Indiana University where because of the laws there, the state universities is not required to recognize their union. And so they've won the support of the faculty. They've won the support of basically the whole student body. And yet the board of regents there is just like, why don't you just go through the regular student governance stuff? And so, but, but that being said, I have to imagine that going through those difficult down years, you were saying that you had those struggles on issue by issue. And while I'm sure that work was extremely difficult and perhaps sometimes demoralizing, the fact that you were able to win 
gains on those issues even before you had a union. Was that something that you were then able to leverage to say, A, look how this, like what we were able to do without one, imagine what we can do when we have our union recognized, and then B, like basically the fact that they were forced to cave just shows like how necessary a union is. Oh, definitely. I I would say it was one of our main talking points when we would um, talk to students because we would say, oh, you know how we have decent health care right now. Well, that's because of all of the work that True put in. Um, and, oh, that COVID relief package that we got, that was because of pressure from True onto administration. And I think that kind of showed people that we're not just out here, you know, talking up a storm and doing nothing. Like we're actually trying to change this, uh, how this university operates and we've been successful without a union. So as you said, imagine what we could do if we come together and have an actual union. Yeah. I mean, and, and on that thought, I mean, what are some of the bigger issues that you're hoping to address now that you have your union recognition? Um, our main, I would say uh, a main uh, platform that we uh, harp on is that we have fair pay that is with the cost of living, um, a livable wage, basically. A lot of students resonate with that. What's crazy to me, um, every school has a different level of pay for uh, the students in that school. So there's a school of medicine, school of public health, school of arts and sciences. There's all these different schools and none of them get paid the same, even though majority of us are doing the exact same work. And the what's the most egregious thing to me, and I think what actually got a lot of previously anti-union students to be on the side of the union or to want to unionize is the fact that you could be actually working in the exact same space, doing the exact same work as another student. But if you're in a different school, like school or a different program, you one of you is getting paid less. And wow. I, that it was extremely, it's upsetting to think about and it's substantially less, not just a little bit, a lot. Um, and doing, having to do other work to, um, like for, for example, some, some students have to also TA and in certain schools you get either additionally paid, uh, for TAing in other schools that is like how you get paid, but the work of a TA it's, it is not clear what is your under your umbrella of TA work. So TAs end up getting overloaded with the amount of work they have to do. So now they're not getting paid enough to do TA work and not getting paid enough to do their lab work or their research. And it's, it's just a big unorganized mess uh, to me with how people are getting paid um, at this institution. And what we want to do is make it so that everybody gets a fair livable wage. Um which is our main So it's like a, point. a huge multi-tiered system, like like vast, <laughs> like more than just like a regular two-tiered system, but based on whatever they qualified people as, what, presumably based on what they presume the jobs are worth or whatever, even though it's the exact same work or something. I don't even know that you could really like reduce it down to that. Like it's so nonsensical the way everything is decentralized. Like mm-hmm. I have a lab mate that like, is probably going to get paid less than me starting in July. Cause that's like our regularly scheduled 
increase and I'm in the school of medicine, but he is not, but working in a lab in the school of medicine. And so his program is going to pay him at a different rate than me. And I'm, it just like, but we're in the same type discipline, basically like hmm. two equivalent programs that do similar types of research. Our faculty advisor is in both programs and there's still <laughs> differences. Like it's just, it's wow. absurd. Um, and even on that, like some of the lowest paid people at Hopkins are in the School of Public Health, which oh, especially wow. right now, mm-hmm. when that's been the reason they're the most famous they've ever been, and mm-hmm. they're underpaying people in epidemiology, like <laughs> it just makes no sense. It has nothing to do with the value of anybody's work. It's totally just dependent on, well, this is how it is, so we're just not going to change it. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the the result of like thousands of nonsensical incremental decisions made by administrators just here and there with no, probably no, you know, backbone of a philosophy of administration at all. Just sitting in a conference room getting paid $200,000 a year to throw darts at a board to decide <laughs> what people are getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so... You were going, you know, you, you talked about that dead period and then finally, you know, you get uh, less uh, adversarial, I guess, a version of the NLRB put into place after Trump goes out of office. And so you're able to kick the organizing drive into a new higher gear. When we've seen at other schools, you know, the student worker unions really start pushing for that election, we've seen... Uh, it's varied, but mostly very stiff resistance from the administration. Like I already mentioned, Indiana, where they're just refusing to recognize them. The big one that's in the news this week, of course, is Temple University, where the administration has essentially declared war on the grad students' union, where they've not only, of course, cut their wages, but they've cut their health care, and they've now even cut their tuition reimbursement, which is wild, and they're trying to charge the students for... Uh, tuition for going on strike but so we've seen a range but it's always resistance so i'm curious when when you kicked that campaign into high gear and really got we're really moving forward and going public with that card campaign for the actual election what kind of resistance what was the response that you saw from administration at johns hopkins well i'd say initially they it it, it was really weird i was expecting a full-fledged anti-union campaign from Hopkins, but really they didn't say much. They sent the emails they needed to send. Initially, when we did file with the um, after-car drop and we had our extremely super majority of students signed cards in under a month, which was super exciting for all of us, um, they, they had sent an email, you know, a group of students has said they want a union uh just just so you guys know uh, make sure you do your own research uh but yeah a, a group of students and we're all like a group of students 2000 plus students have signed union cards so that's kind of what they have been doing i would say they've been more covert with their mm. anti-unionness where they're kind of trying to plant seeds of doubt in students uh, some faculty having captive audience meetings expressing, oh, just make sure you do your research and make sure you know what you're getting into with the union. You know, back in my day type of conversations, <laughs> I got a couple of those, but. 
Did they um, give you the classic, uh, why don't you check out unionfacts.com? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that, but someone probably did. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's one of the classic, like, set up by an anti-union consulting law firm website where, like, it's a this isn't from your employer. It's neutral. Just go mm-hmm. look at it. And then it's, it's just this smear campaign. That's just yep. all like out of context or just straight up lies. So, yep. but yeah, this, so it sounds like it was a bit more of like a passive aggressive resistance campaign than maybe the, the, the full, like dropping the hammer on, on everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was definitely weird to see the like differences in how they treated our campaign versus like just a few years ago, the nurses attempted to unionize. And that Mm. was like, they spent a million dollars on consultants. It was aggressive firings of organizers, um, which there may be something with the difference between the hospital and the university, but like they're the same uh, essentially. Um, So we were gearing up for that kind of fight. Um, And it seems like they did what they usually do to grad workers by just ignoring us completely (laughs) Um, which is why we got to this point and they just, they kind of doubled down on it and they're like, we're just going to pretend this isn't a problem, try and minimize it. Um, and it ultimately bit them in the ass. Like they, (laughs) they realized in the end, like, Oh, uh, maybe we, uh, shouldn't have done that. But, um, that was sort of their strategy was just ignore it and hope it doesn't happen. And, uh, that just, that reminds me of everything they've ever done as long as I've been here. So, yeah, that's the same strategy I used for cleaning my room as a teenager. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've been uh, covering a lot, as we mentioned, a lot of different academic organizing drives and strikes uh, that have been led mostly like by the UAW and a couple others, but the UE has also been getting really heavily involved in academic organizing. What originally drew uh, the folks at your union to to join up with the UE and begin this uh, drive and what is it what has it been like to work with the UE and what sort of resources have they provided you yeah I mean I I was there when we did not have any affiliate union but we were able to now unionize again and we were just sort of like uh okay uh, we need to find somebody to work with. Um, and, you know, we had talked to, to a few different unions with locals in the area. Um, and UE was one of the the unions that returned our calls. Um, and honestly, I feel like in general, what we really liked about their model was uh, that it's centered on building militant worker-led locals um, where the workers are making all of the decisions. They're deciding how we organize. They know the best way to organize their own workplace um, and sort of just helping us make that reality. Um, And as far as resources they provided, they were essentially giving us best practices. Um, They were telling us, you know, we'll we'll, we'll meet with you every week. Um, You can bounce ideas off of us. We can tell you what we've seen. They had already been working with MIT, so they were using some of the the work from that to help us. Um, And really just sort of helping guide us in what is likely to be the best course of action with the context of we're the ones that are really choosing what makes sense. Um, and there were some things that we tried that didn't work um, and they were there along for that ride and they were like, all right, let's talk it out. What didn't work about it? Then we found the new strategy that would make sense. Um, and so we, we were really happy to be working with them um because they just they told us from the beginning like staff are not running your campaign you are running your campaign we are here to make that easier for you and give you resources that you need um and like 
there was a point where we were feeling like a, I don't really think we're getting enough support right now. I simply sent an email with half of our core organizing core signed on it. And they were like, all right, we'll be there next week. Let's talk. Let's uh, like try this new strategy that we've seen work somewhere else and let's get this thing moving. Um, and like, they were very responsive to it and they were very open to have us telling them like, Hey, we need uh, a little more help here. And, and they made it happen. Um, so it's been a very good, like, not a hands-off approach, but more of like, we're just here to help shepherd in the right direction while the workers are really putting in the work. Um, and I mean, the margin speaks for itself. Clearly the model works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's been great. It's really fabulous that they they put you in the driver's seat like that and, and really, you know, made sure that you knew you had ownership over your own campaign. Uh, did that feel really empowering after having just been, you know, marginalized and, and kind of, you know, sidelined over and over again by the university? Does it feel, um, is, is it like polar opposites interacting with one versus the other? Yeah, working with Yui has been really great. Um, I just remember... Uh, we had this one event, I think it was in August. This was the first time we had done walkthroughs through all of the um, buildings on campus. And we had invited MIT to, because they had just had their big win, and they had come to speak, you know, give us some advice and kind of try and rile people up. And we had over 100 students come to that uh, meeting. And I remember a UE rep said, okay, it's time. It's time to 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 get the ball rolling. Union is coming, and I remember I I, I was shocked. I was like, "Oh, it's happening already!" Like <laughs> they were so surprised by the turnout at that event because a hundred a hundred people came to listen to this, and people usually don't like to go to meetings or get on Zoom for a seminar. So it is pretty wild that a hundred plus students came on the Zoom or in person on both campuses. And for Yui to be like, oh wow, okay, it's time to it's time to get going. It was I, I'm glad that they that they recognized that and and saw that the election or the the card drop needs to come. We need to start yeah. our campaign. That that rocks. You're talking that sounds like you know you're talking about the walkthroughs and these meetings. So we all always try to like give some of our listeners some pointers in in good organizing so you talked about things that worked and things that didn't work maybe uh could you go into a little bit on what worked and maybe even some things that didn't quite work for for getting people motivated and organized although uh it considering the margin of victory i have to imagine there weren't too many (laughs) things that didn't work that well (laughs) i actually learned um a big thing that that it's funny what didn't work. I guess I could start with like challenges. So some challenges that we kind of ran into is it's hard to get organizers to come on board because um, it is a commitment outside of the regular research you do. And in it's only, we would, we would always say, you know, it's only an hour um, of your time a week we just need you to help with something. We had and we had a plethora of things for people to do. I think that was a um, a good aspect of our campaign. You know, you could work on the the research aspect of like behind the scenes. You can run the the social media pages, or you can um, be on the ground doing walkthroughs, or you can um, con- connect with people. Um, and what, what's funny is a random 
hard thing. And for anybody out there who's an organizer listening, group chats really don't work. Um, don't put a bunch of people in a group chat and expect to get an answer <laughs> because people just don't answer that. So I think another challenge was that um, lead organizers had to do a lot of one-on-one contacting, um, making the messages personal, like, hey, um, I'm blah, blah from this program. Or I saw that you were interested in True. Do you want to learn more? Do you want to do this? Um, I think that was a challenge and that it's a lot of people to reach out to. But the more people that came on, the the less that individuals had to do. And it was more spread out. But I, I it was worth it for me. But I do have a lot of contacts in my phone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, doing the digital organizing can be really disengaging. And when you're actually able to meet people, you know, one-on-one or even just in small groups, I, I can imagine you get a lot better turnout, especially if people feel like they're able to respond kind of immediately with what they're thinking rather than, you know, overthinking a text message or is everyone going to see this thing that I'm going to, you know, ask this question about, am I going to look silly? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it, I kind of want to get back to highlighting like the, the worker led model that the UE follows, because it's one of the things that's you know made us want to follow more the, what the UE is doing. Cause we're big fans of, of rank and file democracy. And that I feel like is actually not maybe directly, but indirectly influencing academic organizing elsewhere, because, you know, the UAW is very big in academic organizing, but right now there's, you know, a, a fight within the UAW to try and get a, a more worker led leadership within the UAW. And a lot of that has been pushed by folks who are part of the academic organizing division. Like one of the new regional heads is I believe uh, a worker from Harvard. So that's something that I feel like is gaining a lot more traction, even within unions that are more institutional, like the UAW that hasn't necessarily always had that, that rank and file leadership. And so to get kind of back into the, the way that that actually affects the organizing of your union, I'm just curious, was that something that came up, you know, when you're bringing people in, when you're having your one-on-ones, when you're making your pitch for the union, did that make it easier to sell? And was that something that you saw a lot of like really positive reactions from basically telling folks the union is us. It's not some third party. It's not some consultants coming in from elsewhere and even, you know, well-meaning great people from a union, but folks who maybe aren't they're not on the ground. They're not grad workers. They don't know exactly what's affecting you day to day. Was that a, like a, a, a big selling point, uh, I feel like, for, for the model that you're all following? Yeah, it was a huge selling point that, you know, it's student-led. This isn't some random group of people trying to tell you what to do. And I, I think it was more than a selling point. I think it was influential in the amount of students that got on board because, you know, it was, it's your friends, it's your coworkers, your colleagues, like these were not, you know, you know, us, you can, you know, these are people you trust, you know, um, I think like saying like, it's run by us. And what's, what's pretty funny is when I would leave a lab after having a conversation, people would say, oh, good luck. And I'd be like, it's all of us. You don't, (laughs) it's good luck to (laughs) us, not just good luck to me. Um, 
But I, I think that the way that it is run, it's it's appealing in that, you know, you know everybody or you know your group of people um, that is involved. But also, um, thought just left my head. It was a really good thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always goes. I know. I'm uh, Andrew, you can... I'll, I'll keep thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, from my perspective, having seen how we evolved once we had that, like, in a way, like, yes, go do what you think you should do kind of uh, conversation, um, it really made it a lot easier not just to like tell people hey we're building a union you should be a part of it but actually developing our organizers benefited a ton from this approach because uh i've been asked before by people in other student groups or in like student government like why do people work with the union campaign and not with us and my answer is generally just like it's their project that's why right people that come on as organizers with our union and even not as organizers but other folks that are around and supportive they feel like it's theirs, like they have ownership over the campaign. Uh, they know that their concerns are being heard and that we're listening and that we're working together to solve them. And as soon as we gave that shift to people where, hey, what we're trying to do right now is build our organizing committee. What does that mean? You are finding people who not only want these problems to be fixed, but they want to fix them with you. Um, and so as soon as we started training people on what every conversation we're having is, will you help me solve this? and help everyone else in the department solve this problem. And as soon as we shifted and had that mentality change where everybody is actually part of fixing the problems, it changed everything with how people perceived it. Um, it was basically going from like the service union approach of, uh, you know, the union fixes things for you. And instead it's like, actually we're the ones fixing it. Like a union is all of us coming together. Um, even right now, pre-contract, we're working on a couple of things in certain departments where we're like, let's just all get together and fix this now. We don't need to wait until we have a contract for this issue to be fixed. We can fix them already. We already have the people. We have the power. We need to use it. Um, and we don't need to wait until the legal document is drafted to already start making changes. And people are responding really well to that. Um, and I'm just looking forward to, to what we're able to do even pre-contract um, to fix some policy things within programs. That's Hell really yeah. great. So even as you're moving towards your contract, you're continuing to develop like a, a lot of momentum and, and keep the organs of your organization active. Uh, that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, everybody loves bypassing bureaucracy, you know, I mean, a, a contract is really important and uh, is a great fight to have. But some of those other little things can really feel freeing to know that you can still fight for them while you're uh, building up towards the big, you know, document that everybody's going to be, you know, a part of. Uh, so just to add on kind of what Andrew said, since I have been on now both sides of it, because I was in the Graduate Student Association, which is more closely affiliated with administration. Um, what's funny, I, I was talking to one of the deans uh, last week, and they had asked me, you know, oh, how come you seem to really like this true work more than you did on the Graduate Student Association? And I was like, I was thinking in the back of my mind that I kept to myself and I did not tell them is that I, I remember I was with a group of friends and when I was still on the, uh, the GSA and I was like, what, what you guys don't like the GSA? Like what's, what's wrong with it? And they're like, 
you guys are narcs. I was like, oh, (laughs) 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 we're one of them. I see. I think I was lost in the bubble. I was, since I was a diversity and inclusion VP, I was trying so hard to make, to do inclusive activities and, and, or, and events that I kind of almost separated myself from what the rest of the GSA was doing. Not that they don't do, uh, good things. It's just that the issue with the GSA is that you, or what we, we felt that you have to maintain that good relationship and good rapport with the administration. We constantly were trying not to step on their toes. And, you know, when I told the Dean this, she, they did not appreciate that I had, you know, <laughs> not in a bad way. They were just surprised. Like, Oh, you don't have to step on, like, you don't have to feel that way. And this specific dean is great. They are a good person, but some other admins, it's it's hard to feel like, you know, that you can just say what you feel about certain policies. And I understand that, you know, members of the GSA feel like they, you just, you can't just, if you feel passionately about something, you can't just say how you feel about it. You have to be careful. Um or potentially damaged relationships. And I can't confirm, but I'm actually feeling some effects of being a part of the union with certain members of administration. And it's, it's actually shock. So it, it shouldn't be surprising, but I am surprised with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine things like, I know that there are other unions do things like cops off campus. And I, that's probably not as uh, easy to do outside of a union when there's like, you know, the graduate student association or, or whatever, you know, it's, Funny you say that because I tried really hard, and Andrew knows, <laughs> to spread the word about how bad. Um, so for, for context, Hopkins is in the process of getting a private police force. Um, and a, yeah, a lot of us do not like that, but a lot of people do. But I, I, had a, I was trying really hard to, to spread facts about policing in America and how policing affects campuses. I brought in researchers who know their stuff about this topic, um, amazing speakers, uh, but administration gave me some serious pushback with those seminars. And like they, they want the police to be here and they don't want to be, you know, stepped on. So that, that's my stuff on the um, working with administration on their side and why I felt like the union was necessary because they don't often operate with the students specifically in mind. And I feel like they operate more with how is the university going to look? Yeah. I feel like it's got to be kind of that weird situation where while the union may seem like it's creating some friction with some members, like some faculty, like upper level faculty or, or lower level admins. At the same time, it feels like the lack of friction with the other organizations that are more tied to the admin is really more like fake. It's like surface yep. level because it's just there to conceal the power relations between the administration and the students. And even if, you know, the, the union kind of drags that out into the open at least everything's clear and everybody's not just, you know, yep. as you said, like walking around on eggshells or, mm-hmm. you know, blowing smoke all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, that kind of leads us into another question. It's like, so what was the response from, like, the faculty and the undergrads, people who are, you know, more associated but not necessarily in the administration? Uh, you know, were they generally supportive? Uh, did you see, like, higher-paid faculty kind of resistant? Or, uh, you know, because we saw that at, at the UC and, uh, you know. Have, but I guess the question is, have teachers rallied to the union? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of varying responses, as you might expect. It's a big institution. There's a lot of different faculty, a lot of different departments. Um, I'd say generally, faculty sort of just didn't care. But coming back to this, like, apathetic attitude that, like, just is pervasive throughout the university. And Mm. um, it doesn't mean they were, like, they could have been well-meaning in general, but they just weren't really thinking about how this would affect them um, mm. in general. Like a lot of them just didn't want to put time into thinking about it because ultimately it's not their problem, which I would have told them if they did care. I'd be like, this isn't about you. Um, so it actually made it a little bit easier to deal with when most faculty are sort of like either curious or don't really need to know. Um, but there were definitely pockets of faculty where um, in particular departments, there'd be an anti-union department chair, and then there would be some captive audience meetings in that department. And we had to sort of mobilize our organizers in that department and around that department to sort of neutralize that attitude. And, and a lot of our organizers did great jobs in these meetings where they're basically doing the textbook, like ask them questions and see if they can actually answer anything they're talking about. Um, cause ultimately it's just a lot of misinformation that gets to a faculty member and they think, well, admin said, I'm going to lose money because of this when that's not what's going to happen. Um, and not what should happen. Um, and, and it was just sort of like spread out. There was no concerted effort, um, with the faculty to take a position. Um, honestly, their, their instructions from the university were you cannot attempt to influence sort of the like liability uh, email they have to send where you're supposed to remain neutral. You can't retaliate. Please treat them equally. And I'm like, yes. Also the fact that you have to send that in indicate something. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, and there were some supportive faculty as well. And they, in a weird way, wanted to be more quiet about it. Like they'd be more private about it because of the university's, uh, email saying you have to be mm-hmm. neutral. You can't say anything either way. Um, and so what ended up happening was in general, there were like some quietly supportive faculty. Most faculty aren't saying much. And then hostile faculty are sort of saying things, but aren't getting a ton of, uh, like talking points, which was a benefit to, to us being able to neutralize this is that they really didn't know what they were talking about. Um, even if they were against it. Um, and so it was just generally faculty were sort of hands off about it. Um, and I was totally fine with that as an organizer. Um, but undergrads in particular uh, have been great. Um, we love our students. <laughs> um, they've been like watching this uh, and like cheering us on pretty much the whole time. Um, even pre like union election campaign, uh, they've, they've had a great relationship with us. Um, they want to see the people that teach their classes do well so that they can get the world-class education they're paying for. Um, and so, you know, they, they've always kind of been on our side. There's actually, a the student newspaper has written a few op-eds over the years about how we should be recognized. They published our op-eds when we want to place them there. They do coverage of us and they actually, the editorial board published one, I think today, 
um, that was basically like, this finally happened. Is the university going to actually bargain in good faith, basically? Right. Um, like putting the onus on like the university could have recognized us at any time. And the fact that they're talking about this is like, they're totally with us. Um, and it's been great to have their support because ultimately us having better conditions means they're going to get a better education and better opportunities to do research um, and just generally a healthier environment at Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually, I, I thought about that when we were discussing it earlier, but I was surprised that they didn't, it seems like they didn't even consider voluntary recognition, like in, in the face of the huge amount of support that y'all were getting, like, wouldn't you just be like, you know, we would look a lot better if we just voluntarily recognized the union? No, they'll, they won't do that. Of course they won't. <laughs> no, that was weird. They, I thought they were just going to ignore it completely because we had sent them a letter saying, hey, we have, we're prepared to demonstrate we have over 2,000 card signers recognize us voluntarily or by this day or we're going to file a petition with the NLRB. They waited till the day of the deadline uh, <laughs> and then sent an email that essentially boiled down to uh, we prefer the expertise of the NLRB in uh, election <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, you could have just said no. Like, that's a weird way to just say, no, we don't want to. Um, but yeah, they just like waited till the last day and sent that um, and forced us to petition. So we did. Um, they just essentially delayed the inevitable um, and spent extra money on lawyers for whatever reason. They wanted to just spend more money, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's that's such a wild thing to say. Like, well, you know, we really need to have the NLRB's expertise in counting yes votes. Only <laughs> they can do that. It's very specialist. We can't trust grad students to read a card that says yes or no on it. It's very, very complicated. So, yeah, yeah. it's that is a bizarre response. But I, I, I mean. I guess it's better than some of the other ones that we've seen where they're more aggressive with the union busting campaign. But yeah, that's, it's just such a passive aggressive move to wait until the very last day. And then rather than say, no, just have the most just excuses after excuses. Well, like we would love to voluntarily recognize you, but we have to have the special magic vote counters come in because only they can do that. <laughs> It's their style. They they they've done this though this whole time. And like for the question that we always would answer with, you know, oh why why a union? Why can't we just go to admins? Because that's what they they don't answer, or they answer you so far past when you would have needed a response that now it's kind of not even helpful, and it, it's it's just craziness. What in the the excuses we had emailed about pay like last spring, very kind, you know, well-worded email and we get so much sass back and excuses. Oh, that I I don't handle this. You guys need to come through <laughs> me, but it's not my job. So, and it's like okay, so <laughs> who who are we supposed to talk to about these issues? Um it's just yeah, their 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 way of doing things is ignoring and providing some great excuses. My favorite part of that response was, uh, we didn't know this was a problem. I was like, what, what planet are you living on? You don't know inflation is a thing. Like, I, it's, we had cited inflation figures. It's like, this is record inflation. This hasn't been seen in decades. Oh, we just didn't know this was an issue. You should 
put that in the survey <laughs> that GSA does once a year next time. And I was like, what is this response? <laughs> it's a lie is what it is. I mean, you can't go, like open up a newspaper without seeing inflation or, or any of those other things. <laughs> Workers struggling, you know, massive layoffs or any of these labor news is all over the place. Even the union busters who had their convention a couple weeks ago are like, oh, it's in the news every single week. It's like, Obviously, that's a lie if they said they didn't know what was going on. I'm just imagining them as like the the arrested development meme where they're just sitting there reading your email and they're just like, inflation, like how how much could rent cost? $10? <laughs> yeah. So now that you've gotten your union recognition official, you know, through the state and all that, uh, what uh, are you are you? seeing a lot of energy like continue uh are you kind of a little bit worried that you're gonna need to re like get people more invigorated and be like hey that was just one part and we have more like a further to go or what are kind of the feelings there i mean yeah the the concern is sort of we won and people are gonna be like okay we did the thing and let's be happy um which we did that for a couple days of course uh it's it's been barely over a week uh the vote count was last wednesday um and so it's sort of we're at this point where our core team is sort of starting to have these conversations about what's next with some of our organizers getting them prepped to go back out like very soon to get back to talking to people telling them what's coming um but I mean, the energy is there. I mean, the, turning out 2,000 people, um, something that we don't know has been done at a, an NLRB grad campaign before, that like sheer number of votes. Um, there's a lot of energy. And a lot of these people that were helping us like towards the end were brand new to organizing with us. And so there's a lot of new energy as well. I mean, we had dozens of more organizers than we had ever had before. Um, and so what we're really doing now is just figuring out, let's get the logistics, the the boring stuff figured out as soon as we can. Then let's say, all right, now we're going to get that bargaining committee set up. Not only that, we're going to do our bargaining survey and we're going to go talk to people again, do what we got us here, get back into having conversations with people, celebrate with colleagues we haven't seen since the win, and then say, what do you want to change first? What's your top priority right now? It's the same organizing model we used to get here. We talked, we would go in and we'd say, what do you care about? What do you want to change? And we're going to go back and say, we know what you want to change. What's top of the list for you? What should we be putting in a contract? What are the specific things you want in a contract? And then bringing people in to actually help us write those proposals. And so we're basically going to get back to it as soon as we can so that we can bring people into the organizing and just build an even stronger union. Um, But yeah, the energy is definitely there and you can feel it when you talk to people about it. Maybe not Jasmine and I right now. We're a little tired. But, um, <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> we're a little tired, but we're still we're still seeing a lot of people that are like super, yeah. super energized by it. <laughs> That's yeah, what's really to... great about having such a great, you know, such a big uh, like organizing committee and all of that, right? Because you can rely on each other. Oh, definitely. What's funny, you know, Andrew said that maybe the energy, I don't think the energy swayed in any way, because I was very surprised that after the vote count, I was ready to take like, you know, maybe a week to chill. Somebody texted our Slack channel like the next day, maybe even that night. So at the next meeting, this is what we need to be talking about. And everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, already. <laughs> 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 
yeah. So they're accelerating into the turn, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are very much. So. <laughs> well, and and I feel like because you mentioned before that you know even though you're going to be going through all this process to go through the formal bargaining and get and go for your first contract, that because of the whole of the worker led model and the fact that you're really trying to engage every member of the union or as many as possible of course like in the actual work of the union that that gives you the opportunity to do these short term immediate job actions to fight for changes just right away without having to wait for the next contract cuz you know one of the things that we see so often with more well more, I guess, staff-driven and less rank-and-file-driven campaigns is it's very, very easy for unions to turn into that service modeling that you're talking about where, like, people hear from the union they're a part of or when contract time comes around and then for the duration of the contract, it's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. The regular day-to-day operations, we, the staff, have got that. You don't have to worry about anything. And, you know, for some people who who don't want to be involved in the day-to-day operations, that might seem fine, but it's such a way to demobilize people. And, and it, I feel like that model prevents you from doing the sorts of campaigns that you were talking about, those short-term job actions. And on that front, I don't know, it, maybe there isn't an answer for this, or, or maybe it's still be, it's probably still being negotiated, but are, are there particular issues other than, of course, the, the, wanting to raise pay because of inflation that you plan to focus on in the short term? Or are you still kind of gathering those surveys from folks to find out where you should be focused on? Yeah. I mean, the generally the top priorities that we already know are going to be at the top are the ones that we laid out in our platform that we organized off of. Um, what's becoming uh, more clear as we enter the negotiations is what that will tangibly look like. Cause they're pretty vague. Um, and like, we need to put it in legalese. It needs to go in a contract. Sure. We actually have to work out a lot of these processes. But I mean, aside from pay, like a big one that I know is going to come up is people get paid late all the time. Like mm. just out of nowhere, all of a sudden you've been paid on time all year. And then it's like, oh, sorry, some staff person didn't process something that left the office. And now you don't get paid on time. Sorry. Next check, you'll get your money. And I'm like, cool. How do I tell my landlord I'm just not paying mm-hmm. them? Like, that's not going to work for me. I don't get to save any money. Um, and I, I know that's going to be at the forefront because it happens across divisions, even though their answer to it is, oh, well, you know, there's no central payroll office. I'm like, well, it's happening everywhere. So maybe there should be. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that might be the problem here. Um, and another one that like a lot of people are, are really uh, hoping to see improvements on is like the grievance procedures for Mm. if a student has a dispute um, with an advisor or any faculty member, um, there is a huge power imbalance and the office tasked with doing that at Hopkins is made by Hopkins. And their Mm -hmm. whole goal is essentially what HR is, even though they don't call it HR. Um, It's the same thing. They're there to protect the university, make problems go away not to actually get justice for, for the student. Um, and I've seen, I have a few friends that have been uh, in abusive situations. Um, and like, I have one that's currently dealing with it. Uh, and it just like keeps popping up all the time. And there's not been any concerted push to like actually change it because they hide behind 
the, the, well, this is how it's done. And our lawyers say we have to do this. And it's just something that has to come out in negotiations. And I know that as we start to lay that out, people are going to be really energized about it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, Andrew and Jasmine, uh, is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know, either how they can uh, support you or even just any last uh, pieces of information that you think would be really important for people to hear? Um, I, what I really like have been standing behind. And I think I, I had said this at that one meeting um, that had really kind of kicked off our whole campaign with um, MIT um, is that if you want change to happen where you are, you have to be the change and you have to do your part. Um, even if that is a tiny, tiny part, you know, telling your friend, Hey, did you hear about the union that's happening here? Or did, have you seen the flyers on the wall? You know, just having these, the small conversations, I think that is what has made our campaign so successful. What actually warms my heart was the amount of new organizers on election day that stuck around all day and they did not have to, you know, like I think people feeling like inspired, surrounded by people that care. It's just like, it's a, it's a great feeling. And I, I hope that people out there who are trying to unionize where they're at. I hope that, you know, they can, they can just do their small part and it really does snowball into 2000 students doing their part or 2000 workers. Andrew, did you have any last uh, words you wanted to share with us? I mean, only thing I got is uh, solidarity with the temple grad workers donate to their strike funds. I'm going to, I'm trying to head to their picket line if they're still out next week. So uh, yeah, send, send them your best, send them some money. Um, Cause the, the larger movement is, is what's key here. So. Hell yeah. Well, thank you both for being with us today. We've got Andrew Enum and Jasmine Gray, who are grad student workers uh, with the teachers and researchers United at John Hopkins university in Baltimore. And one more time, just thank you both for being with us. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. And we want to thank all of the patrons who support us as an entirely listener-supported podcast. You know, make sure to jump in the Discord and have a conversation with us or whatever. You know, follow us in all the places. Uh, we'll be back next week to finish up the series that we are currently in the middle of. And I'm sure, you know, there's people excited about that. But I'm really glad to have been able to do this interview and get more of this awesome information out to everyone. And with that, labor peace is yeah, yeah. not in our interest. Yeah, yeah. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Yeah, yeah. Solidarity, everybody. Bitch, better have my money. Y'all should know me well enough. Bitch, better have my money. Play down, call me on my blood. Pay me what you want me. Balling bigger than LeBron. Bitch, give me your money. Who y'all think y'all fronting on? Like blah, blah, blah Louis 13 and it's all on me Nigga, you just bought a shot Kamikaze, if you think that you gon' knock me off the top Shit, your wife in the backseat of my brand new foreign car Don't act like you forgot I call a shot, shot, shot Like blah, blah, blah Pay me what you want me Don't act like you forgot Bitch, better have my money 
Bitch, better have my money.